from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. What's up, everybody out there entangled in the interwebs? We're down at Jake's Sports and Spirits recording the CSG podcast, 3800 Walnut Street. Two for one drinks tonight, Tuesdays. Making his way all the way down here from Thornton, we got the king himself, Jeff Moore. What's up, everybody? Nice to be with you again. Uh, yeah, wherever Ross is, we uh, saying hi. Shout out to Ross right now. Um, and Nate, I believe we have a um, expansive and venerable guest with us tonight. We do we have the one and only Sandy Clough of one hundred four three, the fan? More venerable than expansive. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What was it's it? past my bedtime. <laughs> What was the word Maloney's today at practice? Uh, similar to that word. Yeah, that it was. Uh, I forgot what it was. Something with a V. It was very good. He even noted during his answer. It yeah, was I know. a good word. Was it, was it vicissitude? <laughs> Something like that. Prestige? I don't know. It was great. Well, Sandy, how have you been doing? I've been great. We've had a full off season of a bizarre Broncos moves and signings and non signings. Got a new partner. You're working with Brandon Stokely. A lot of change, but uh, good change. Brandon's been terrific. Scored in his one of first the greatest touchdowns in Broncos history against the Bengals. He did. I love that play. That oh, tip yeah, catch. That's right. Like the tip catch. The immaculate deflection, we yes. call it. Not the immaculate reception because mm-hmm. it was tipped. Brandon Marshall, the receiver, was the intended target on the play. Oh, uh, yeah. That's right. So it goes down in the annals as the immaculate deflection. You know, I was just thinking about 2009. this. 2009. If they lose that game, who's to say they win another game that year? <laughs> it felt that way at the time. It, it really did. But that was uh, the first in a string of six straight victories with yes, which they opened the 2009 season. And it was Josh McDaniels for the Hall of Fame. Far more excitement about that team at 6-0 and and higher hopes than even this year's 6-0 and team had. Believe this it or not, true. this is true. Believe it or not, because uh, with all due respect to Gary Kubiak, and there's a lot of respect due to Gary Kubiak as a world championship coach now, uh, Gary had been in Houston. It was Josh McDaniel's first opportunity as a head coach, and coming from the Bill Belichick coaching tree, uh, back then it had not been established that Bill Belichick assistants are almost always colossal failures as head coaches. Uh, McDaniels turned out to be one of the people who made that case popular. But at the time, starting 6-0, and he wasn't just coach of the year material. He was going straight to the Hall of Fame. I remember that game at home that the Broncos had won and McDaniels was fist-pumping and dancing off of the field. It was just, Against New England. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy game and crazy time. Think of how hated he is in Denver now. They, people called him Hoodie Junior out here. He's despised <laughs> by most fans. Well, when Wade out, uh, Wade Phillips out coached him in the championship game this year, I think some of that bitterness may have gone away a little bit. I think yeah. so because that that was you know despite the score, this one of those games that was not as cor- close as the, I mean it was a two point game, but the Broncos had control of that game from the moment the the first kickoff happened, and uh, you know they kind of let things slip at the end. Certainly had defensive control. Oh yeah, not not offensive, of course. Nothing went right for the, the Nuggets offensively. The, the Nuggets. The Nuggets, that's a good segue. Let's, yeah, let's talk let's about, about those guys. There you go. <laughs> the Sultan of the Segway strikes Sultan again. Of the Segway. So they've only, they've only got 11 games left. They're coming home tomorrow to face the, the lowly Philadelphia 76ers. They only go 1-4 and four on the road trip after going 5-2 and two on the seven-game homestand. 
They actually have another. I believe they close the season with a four-game homestand yes. right towards the end. Yeah. Um, Sandy, what have you thought about them this year? And Let's start maybe with a general view and then maybe work into some specifics. Generally, I understand it's been a developmental season from the beginning. Uh, the one-loss record almost irrelevant. And if that sounds like an excuse, well, maybe it is. Uh, I don't know exactly where they were at this point last year through 71 games. I don't think it was a lot worse than they are right now. They still haven't won 30 games. Right. But presumably they will avoid 50 losses this year. That would be a nice start. I think Michael Malone is the right coach. And when people say, well, he's accused the team of quitting on him, he did as recently as last night in Cleveland, why is that any different from Brian Shaw, who did the same thing? And my answer to that is, when Brian Shaw did it, it seemed entirely self-serving. And when Michael Malone does it, it seems like he isn't covering for his own deficiencies as much as telling the truth and expressing his disappointment, not his outrage. I coached great, they played bad. But simply telling a truth that if you watch the game was virtually self-evident. Right. Do you find, do you enjoy watching these Nuggets? They're considerably more watchable to me than they have been in either of the last couple of years. Uh, I enjoy watching the development of some of these younger players, uh, your kitchen in particular. Uh, Barton's fun to watch coming off the bench. Obviously better in the first half of the year than he's been in the second half. Right. Uh, but their high points, I think, offer promise for the future that simply didn't exist in either of the last two seasons. There was no hope for the future, either short-term or long-term. And I think Malone, as a coach, projects authority but more of a degree of patience than I think they had the last two years. I think we saw, too, with when Carl was here, the last, his last couple of years, it was really, I mean, since the Mellow trade, it was George's team, right? And I think we've seen some of that now with Malone to where Agreed. he's the star, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, we had Chris Mannix from Yahoo Sports and NBC Sports uh, on our uh, solo hour this morning on the fan between 11 and noon. Love Mannix. And Chris is a, a terrific NBA commentator and he was talking about the injuries which I think people tend to forget about you haven't had Chandler at all this year Mm -hmm. you've had Gallo missing through this most recent stretch the homestand the road trip and uh, even for a few games before that and pretty clear that he's not going to be coming back I think I think so pretty much established that they (laughs) they will shut him down for the year so that's almost what the last quarter of the season maybe a little more than that or you haven't had your best player and missing Chandler all year. It's served a purpose in the sense that it's allowed the younger players to play more. And I know fans in some cases may not want to hear this, but I'm looking forward to the draft in June where I guess, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, they have as many potentially as four first-round draft picks. Probably won't get four because things really have to spin a certain way, a rather unlikely scenario that that would happen. But they're going to have multiple picks. In the first round, and watching the NCAA basketball tournament right now, I see guys like Heald and Sabonis out there. Boy, what a coup it would be if they could get both those players somehow. I think the next time that you uh, see Paul Klee, he'll talk to you about Sabonis quite a bit. Yes, he will. He's a big Sabonis. Uh, I have yeah. talked to Paul Klee already. <laughs> gotten an earful. He's already got it. And the Nuggets love him. Paul, if you're listening to Sabonis. us, we, we got you, man. Yeah. It isn't just Paul Klee who yeah. likes him. Oh, right. man. 
Well, it's it's you know it, you you could almost say that it would be you know that he would bring along Arvidas probably with him if the Nuggets draft him. Arvidas was a fantastic. Uh, player in the uh, in the nineties, but he was a much better European player before his body disintegrated. Basically, when he was with the Blazers, but you could say that if the Nuggets draft him, it would be a Sabonis. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> and he's also, I mean, he's got there. There's a relationship there, obviously, with Arvidas and Arturis Karnasovas, who played together on the Lithuanian teams. Yes, they did. Teams. Yeah. Um, but the Nuggets could most likely end up with three picks. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And, you know, what you are know. you talking about? A couple of lottery, one late lottery, and then one in the mid middle stages or well, well, back as of, half stages of the round. As of right now, they're kind of in, what, the eighth spot? Eight, nine. Eight, yeah. And then with, eight, the other, with, with the Houston and Portland picks, Not 12. maybe 15 to yeah, 18 15, range. 15 to like lower 18. Than yeah, okay. as, yeah. So they've got mid first round, and they've got one lottery, which, you know, is influenced by the Knicks. Um, sure. You know, well, that could leap up if, if – Hopefully, you know, we're, we're everyone in the uh, Michael Malone was talking about it today. The last vestige of the Carmelo Anthony trade is this pick swap. What a trade that was! Vestige, yeah. that's the word. vestige. That's what he that is. The there we go. Vestige, vestige. Of the Carmelo yes. trade. Um, but yes, but we're, you know, you're pointing it out just now, Andy. Uh, Andy, I just called him Andy. It's Andy, Andy, Andy. <laughs> uh, Close. That it's past your bedtime. Right? I know. I know. No, it's just like you're not Feinstein. Um, that. That Carmelo Anthony trade has been basically, not quote unquote, paying off all the way up to 2016. I mean, five years out. Five years out from You're that still trade. Still getting from that trade far more than anybody could have ever expected. And I, I was dead. On that whole deal, I was wrong. I thought they should have acted early, that that was when they could have gotten the best deal. The longer they waited, uh, the more vulnerable they were dealing from a position of weakness because people knew they had to make the deal. And they played it just right. And yep. we can argue about what the proper recollection of history was and that, again, who deserves most of the credit and who deserves part of the credit. Uh, we can go back and forth on that. But uh, that was one trade in the history of this franchise you talk about the gift that keeps on giving. Five years later, you're still getting compensation for Carmelo Anthony. I mean, that's that's who, unfortunately, to me, because of his injuries and because of the team he's playing for now, is is done as a consequential player. Should they have Carmelo on the stage lottery night, getting ready to hand the Nuggets the a top three pick? Yeah. <laughs> what what is your opinion of the NBA lottery system? Do you like it? Do you think they should overhaul it? Should it? way more evenly amongst the teams not in the playoffs? Anything to get away from the tanking or yeah. any incentive to tank would be fine with me. Right. Let's play. I have, I have some good sound. Paul Klee actually today had asked Malone a little yes, bit he did. about tanking and about rebuilding and where the Nuggets are. So i got a couple minutes of Malone here. Let's listen to that and see what he has to say. Um, so, yeah, no, tanking has never come up. Uh, we're still trying to win every single game. Uh, we have no reason to tank. You know what I mean? It's not like we're, hey, you're guaranteed the number one pick. I, I, don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I have no idea what's going to happen in the lottery and come draft night. But for all of our young players, how we finish up this season in terms of how we play will really, I think, carry over into the summer, into year number two. Um, so I'm sure hey, a lot of fans will say, well, it's better off if you lose. We'll get more ping pong balls. It's better. 
I'm not worried about ping pong balls, man. I'm worried about trying to get better every day, create good habits, and finish the season playing the right way. I have a hard time picturing Michael Malone in a situation like they have in Philly. That's yeah, I mean, like, uh, what I think it gets down to, though, is, you know, uh, there's always a big picture. So the big picture this year is, you know, like, to your point, so we're at 29 wins, and you look at the injuries, you look at the the schedule, the changes, the youth, all that, and a lot of people would say, to your point, overall, really good season. Some young players have gotten better. The culture has changed. Um, so it all, for me, you know, I told Josh and Tim this when I got hired, what what are the expectations? You know, we're all on the same page. And what I mean by that is, okay, in Philadelphia, they've been on the same page all along. This is rebuilding. This well, is rebuilding. Sense. This is rebuilding. So Brett Brown, okay, you, you can... It's not easy because we're all competitors, but you can understand and grow with it because, okay, we're all lockstep. This is rebuilding. And going into year one, not one of us ever said from the press conference and when I got hired till now, this is a playoff year. This is a make or break year. No, this is year one with a really young team. And how many teams go to the playoffs starting a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old backcourt? With a 21-year-old center. Might go to a Final Four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah, my frustrations are in the moment that time, but not in terms of, hey, we lost to Cleveland last night. My frustration is in how we lost. So that, and that I think, is important for our fans to understand that winning is never acceptable. But at the same time, let's be realistic with who we are, where we're at. But I think the challenge is let's, let's find a way to play the right way. Win or lose, can we walk out of here proud? in terms of how we competed and how we executed. And if we do that, regardless of the results, we can all go home and go to sleep at night and feel good about where we're headed. A little sound there from Malone talking, you know, obviously the, the tanking aspect, but giving you an insight into the expectations of the team from the ownership to the front office to the coach, and they're all on the same page. That's what I like. Mm-hmm. If you have a plan and everybody's on board with it and you project that to the public... From the beginning, not after you've lost you know, 30 out of your first 40 games. Yeah. And you say, well, look, the plan is to build this year and develop. But you say that right from the outset. People will respect that kind of honesty. And I think what he said just there is exactly right. I don't think there was a false, disingenuous word spoken in those uh, series of responses. Yeah. Well, I think that it was... It was good to see that someone who understood the balance between being a coach who's trying to win and because every coach is trying to win. Because, you know, let's face it, every coach is on a, on a timeline. Every coach is like, except for Brett Brown, every coach is like, you need to win. And it's just the, just the way it is. Now, obviously, there's some longer rope, but every coach was a competitor and they want to win. But at the same time... He's right to point out that, like, the Nuggets were uh, 19 years old, uh, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, 20-year-old, you know, 21 now, Gary Harris, and then uh, Nikola Jokic, and then three-year starters are early 20s. That's, like, that's as young All as the uh, younger than the Buddy Heald at age 22, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah. All younger. All younger. Yep. Keep that in mind. And that's why Clee's interjection there. Maybe you can make the final four with yeah. a 19, 20, 21-year-old exactly. uh, combination of players, but you're not expecting to make the NBA playoffs with that. And this idea that it's easy to make the NBA playoffs, I think you know, it's 
for this franchise borne out to be false. Well, no, uh, with yeah, these long yeah. droughts that the Nuggets have had between playoff appearances, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as we all remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of with this season kind of being? You know, obviously it's the rebuilding. We're playing young guys; are getting better. What does that mean for next season? Like, where did when do expectations start to try to, to creep mm-hmm. into this? Good question. And I, I think Malone will have to communicate that. Yeah. And I trust his judgment, and I would hope the public would. We got a text today on our program, uh, and, and understandable. Uh, I don't even know the name of the Nugget coach, and I haven't since George Carl was fired. And I understand that, but I think if you spend any time looking at Malone, listening to Malone, uh, he cuts an impressive figure yeah. as a coach. And I think he will tell us you know, which point now – with multiple first-round picks again, most likely three, I think you go into next year and, yes, you are expected, if not to make the playoffs, and seriously challenge for the playoffs. And it's kind of like the avalanche season this year turns out to be at this point, regardless of injuries, regardless of uh, form of particular players, difficulty of schedule coming down the stretch, the avalanche make the playoffs, successful season. If they miss the playoffs, abject failure. There's, there's no other way to put it. And I don't know that it will be that stark next year for the Nuggets, but it will be closer to that, much closer to that, mm-hmm. than anything we're watching from this year. Any of the expectations from this year uh, bear no relevance to what next year might offer in terms of challenges and expectations, fair expectations, that in a relatively weaker Western Conference, and we see that this year, around those seventh and eighth spots, there's no reason they can't get to 40 to 45 wins next year, assuming Gallo's back healthy. Maybe they trade Fareed. If they draft Sabonis, they can certainly trade Fareed from a position of strength. And, again, Malone, Connolly, on the same page. Uh, this organization has a good feel for young talent, I think, now, especially yeah. of the European variety. Yeah. So I, I, it would be time to... Uh, ask, maybe more than request, ask them next year to begin to reflect that improvement with wins on the floor. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of the way in my my way of thinking. And it was asked after practice today, I think think either you or someone else asked it today after practice. It's like, when do they need to start winning? When do they? When does it need? And I'm trying to remember the '94, '93 night because everything for me comes back to the '93, '94 nights. Um, <laughs> You're obsessive. I'm, I am obsessive to the point where uh, I've lost friends because of it. No, um, <laughs> that team was in year three or four that they finally made the eighth seed in the playoffs, and I do remember they snuck into that eighth seed that year. Now, is do they need that kind of thing, or do they need to be I think competing so. for the I, I, I think that's um, honoring your obsession, yes. for the moment, anyway. Thank you. Uh, I, I think you look back <laughs> and try to find a year in which you could expect a coach who wasn't a rookie coach on yep. the job, yep. and Anisil certainly wasn't a rookie coach going into 93-94, yep. that making the playoffs – Back then, I think was realistic. Uh, how many games they won that year? Forty-two. Forty-two. Why not expect forty-two wins next year? Yeah. Same thing. Malone's not 
in his first year. Certainly not a rookie coach. He's not in his first year with this organization anymore. I think he becomes commensurately more demanding next year, and you don't hear him railing at players for quitting on him. Yeah. Uh, they're gone. They, yeah. You know, any player who quits on him and is gone. Now, there's a certain commitment to playing young players now. Yeah. Uh, but I think that goes out next year. You play the guys who can help you win. How much, That's it. During your time covering teams in Denver, how much growth have you seen from when a guy was a young head coach to like what steps did he have to make to make him a better head coach? Like in Malone's case, I'm thinking he is a young head coach, and there are things that you know rotations feel for in game adjustments. Uh, I, I think so, and you guys are better equipped to answer that question because you mm-hmm. follow them so rigorously and. Uh, you break stuff like that down. And I, I know because I've talked to you guys, there, there's been some criticism of his uh, uh, use of uh, bench players this year and the lineups he's had in certain circumstances, late and close games, maybe not the best possible yeah. combinations. I, I think, again, the priority this year is developing the young talent. And he's even mentioned that a few times. Yeah. Next year, the priority is more seriously centered on winning basketball games well especially with a young coach i mean he really is i mean he's 42 43 years old which is really young for a coach in the nba right now and um it is it's i always looked at the first year with a coach they should be next year with the utah jazz are this year just yeah yeah yeah, just to clarify yeah And I was thinking the first year is the, the team development, if you're having yeah. a young team. I always thought the second year was the coach's development because you have to develop as a coach. You have to get a better feel for the game. And right now he does have some ups and downs with rotations and stuff like that, but he'll learn, I but think. On that point, Brian Shaw struck me not as an inadequate technical coach, but he had no feel for the game. Yeah. No feel for his personnel, no feel yeah. for the game. Mike Malone may not have as good a feel for this team as he will have by this time next year. Yeah. But I think he has a feel for the game. Yes. Isn't that weird since Shaw was a former player? That he would have no feel for the game. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> it seems strange. <laughs> well, he kept, uh, he kept talking about how he couldn't relate to players. And if you can't relate to – well, I mean, if you can't relate to the people you're coaching, then you're, you're – kind of up, up up shit creek you know yeah and another thing that, that i've been obsessed about i know jeff has fans we get so many questions from fans about you know can nikola Jokic and yusuf nurkic play on the court together you know can they play this oversized two seven footers in this era uh we've hammered malone about it throughout the year we've asked him about it and he's been kind of saying no for a while you know maybe when they're older but Last night he plays him in the third quarter. Jakar Sampson gets injured. Yeah. He, he starts Jokic. They play like 651. They're a minus eight. They looked a little discombobulated, but Jeff had asked him about it today. A little bit shorter sound from Malone on that topic, but not much. Let's listen to that. Well, you know, we've talked, you know, uh, and it's something that we want, we want to look at. And with Jakar being out and LeBron James being at the small forward, I said, you know what, let's put DA on LeBron and start Nicola on Channing Fry and put Nurk on. Moscow seemed like a great opportunity to do that. Uh, you know, you have, you know, they looked for each other. You know, Nikola fed Nurkic the ball in the post. He scored. One time Nurkic fed the ball into the post to, uh, to Jokic. So they have a, a good feel for the game. They're both very skilled. Uh, Nurk is obviously uh, very comfortable back to the basket, but can also face up. I think the biggest challenge is going to be defensively. 
And, uh, you know, can Nikola Jokic guard space, spread the floor, bigs? Uh, because that is, you know, now he's in constant closeouts. He's on the perimeter. He's being put in pick and rolls all the time. So, uh, you know, in short minutes, it was okay. You know, I told our players they probably don't realize it from that final score, but six minutes to go in the third quarter is an eight-point game. And that was a disappointing thing. It went from eight to 18. Then the fourth quarter, it went from 18 to 30. And that's why, that was my biggest disappointment was that I thought we kind of gave in a little last night. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll get some more looks at those two together. You know, tomorrow night may be tough. You know, Philly's going to play so much small ball uh, with no Okafor. But, um, you know, we'll give them more opportunities to play together and see how we can use them to the best of uh, our ability and their ability as well. You know, he played that. Uh, what has been a consistent theme among Nuggets fans this year is that you have Yusuf Nurkic, who showed out pretty, really, real last year, but has struggled coming back this year from his patellar surgery, and there's been some other issues, and it's just been a struggle for him to get. But now he's finally getting back in the lineup. One of the consistent cries was that they play those two together because you have two guys who have basically showed a lot. Last night was the first extended. How much time did they get? About five minutes? Seven. About Just seven about, minutes. Yeah. That's a good extended amount of time, and it was both good and bad. But they, these two had never played, played together before in a long sense. Or even, I don't think they've even practiced this sort of thing. So it was a little discombobulated. Um, Sandy, in this day and age, can you get away with having two players who need to be in the post in this era if they have a feel for the game yeah. to that point again i think you can they both seem to have a feel for the game i think inevitably you keep one hopefully that one you keep develops into a star and you trade the other one and maybe you find out more about both if you play them together than you would if you never played them together Yeah. Uh, in making a judgment as to who to keep long-term and maybe who to best to use as a trade chip. Yeah, see how they match, see who can adjust, who can't. Right. That type of thing. Who's adaptable and who's not. Yeah. And one, I think, will emerge eventually. My sense it'll be Yurkic as more adaptable than the other. And I think two is... Tougher than the other, more adaptable, better feel for the game. And with Nikola, like with his his part of the game is, you know, he, he's a he's a point guard, and he's a seven foot point guard essentially. I mean, he's a guy that you can you can have Moutier off the ball. He works very well with Gary Harris throwing him passes off ball, and his defense is Jeff. You've talked about this a lot. Is, is Nurkic is the better rim protector? You know, he's your better defender. Sure. Watching LeBron last night, you know, try to go inside, and Nurkic not only blocks a shot, but LeBron bounces off of him, and Nurkic didn't even move. Yeah, that kind of toughness is good. But again, when you're looking at 48 minutes, you know, as Sandy pointed out, there's not a lot of time to go around. So no. you might, you're going to have to make a choice at some point in time. Yeah, I agree. They're both probably too good to to stick around. So you better make sure whichever one you trade is the right one. Well, what were the good? And good. <laughs> what was the good and bad that you saw last night? Uh, I, th- I like the fact that Jokic can play out of that high post, but I think right. Jokic can pass as well. Yeah, and when you have I think Jokic has, as Sandy said as well, the better feel for the game. And you can play him out on the perimeter. He can feed it inside. He can move without the ball. 
where Nurkic is that dominant low block guy. He can play in the high block a little bit too. He showed mm-hmm. it last year, mm-hmm. and he, he had some passing. But uh, I, I like I just like Jokic's offensive versatility much better. He can shoot the three, which is you know the the holy shot in the standings <laughs> apparently. Um, but uh, defensively, you know. Nurkic is the guy that you'd want. Nurkic may move a little bit better right now, guarding guys on the perimeter. He's, you know, he's pretty nimble on his feet for a really big guy. Yeah. Um, but he protect he protects the rim really well, so you don't want him away from the right. Feet. I mean, this is this is my field, and I, I've kind of expressed this to others, but you generally want to start your best defensive big guy uh, because they're going to have the most maximum effect on the game if they are starting. Um, the problem with Jokic and Nurkic is that we don't know if their styles together are compatible. And if you think that Nikola Jokic is the way forward, you almost have to get to a point where you say we have to get cut ties with Yusuf Nurkic because bringing him off the bench is not a, not something that we can, is tenable. But if you decide that's why they have to kind of play them together – because they kind of know, as you were saying, Sandy. They, you you kind of have to know. And if it's just something that's completely untenable and it's not going to work, I, you have to get you have to send one on the way. By this time next year, do you have to know? Maybe you do. Yeah, I think that's enough time. Yeah, give them another year. Yeah, and by the end of next year, certainly they should know. Yeah, and they're both on rookie contracts, so they're right. not draining your you know your salary cap. So there's no really in- real incentive to deal them right now. Which Nurkic no, not will, right now. Nurkic will be on his third year by the end of next year. So I, we'll see. Uh, but it, it's just going to be one of those situations. And I, I, I was telling Nate this earlier. Nur- Nurkic is so good defensively that he changes the way the team performs when he's out there. And they're a bad defensive team. And they're a bad defensive team. <laughs> Overall, and they're really bad when he's not in there. Yeah, which is like... And then, but you have Jokic, he gives you everything else. That's the kind of the catch-22. Sure. And it's that way with developing young teams. You you do have to make these choices. And I think that's why the draft will be interesting this year to see if they can plug multiple holes. I like Gary Harris a lot, but a player like Heald is out there, and I've seen him a lot this year. And I just think, yeah, he has some defeats, a little undersized. It's not great defensively, but, boy, can he fill it up. And, again, has no fear uh, of failure. I saw him with particular interest twice against Kansas, a team I follow rigorously. I see virtually every one of their games from start to finish. And the best basketball game I've seen this year was the early January game in Lawrence between Oklahoma and Kansas, 109-106 Kansas in triple overtime. I think he had 46 in that game. (laughs) And he was unstoppable. I mean, they they had a good defensive plan, and he was just relentless and smart. wasn't forcing up shots, and it wasn't like he had two or three shots that he pulled out of his you-know-where. Right. Every shot seemed like a good shot. When he went up and shot it, regardless of where he was shooting it from, you had a pretty good feeling it was going in. He's basically a 50% three-point shooter this year, and I know it's the college game. But if you're a 50% shooter from three, you can help this Nugget team. Yeah, and he's consistently shown range out to the NBA line this year. Yes. You know, he's, I, yeah, he's not shooting just behind the line. He's shooting well beyond it yeah, much of the time. I caught his game when they played 
believe they played in Louisiana when they played LSU and Ben Simmons, and it was, he was great in that game too. Build up, yeah. I mean, he yeah. took it. Obviously, Simmons is the young kid, and Heald's a senior, but and you saw it in the tournament game, his last tournament game as well, where he scored twenty nine in the second half, where he was demanding the ball and wanting the big shots, that. wanting every shot. I mean, that's that. exactly what you want to see out of a guy. So he'd be very, very intriguing to me as a, as a prospect. I didn't think so much during the season, but these tournament games have kind of changed my mind on him a little bit. And you're saying against Kansas, Kansas has been phenomenal this year too. Well, his game against Kansas and Oklahoma about five weeks later was not nearly as good. (laughs) And he missed a big free throw at the end of that game. But for the most part, I love his personality. Uh, Win or lose, he's there, he's accessible. And, you know, it's the old line that I use sometimes, if you don't, if you can't accept defeat, don't compete. And that doesn't mean you like to lose, but you take accountability for losing and you speak after losses just as you speak after wins when it's yeah. easy to talk. And he does all that. That's the old four-year player stigma. Well, it seems, too, that that would be a Malone type of guy where Malone yeah. says he wants guys think that so. hate to lose more than they like to win. You know, and that's I never understood that when I was growing up. Yeah. You know, of course not. But, but then I found out everybody likes to win. Right. Not everybody hates to lose. <laughs> everybody would prefer to win. This is true. Yeah. But mostly on their terms. And yeah. hating to lose is, you know, that, that, that's the quality, I think, in competitors that separates the champions from the mirror stars. Yeah. Very true. Before we go too far away from Jokic, he's also pretty good on defense. He's, uh, he's okay. It's pretty good. I think he's got a lot of potential on the defensive side too. He gets he gets beat up a lot. Is there any other college players that you've liked in this tournament that could uh, potentially Sabonis be there? I've liked. Uh, I like Jamal Murray from Kentucky. Now he did not have a great game against Indiana the one other of, day from three point range, but you know you have off shooting games. Yeah, and Indiana's pretty good. Did Sabonis uh, surprise you? I mean, going into that a against bit. Jakob Pertle. Pertle killed him. Yeah. Killed Pertle. And now they say Pertle had an ankle injury. Okay. Uh, didn't seem to bother him too much in the previous game. Right. But uh, <laughs> Pirtle, uh, against Sabonis, uh, he seemed uh, completely overwhelmed and ineffective. And couldn't get around him when he had the ball. Exactly. Couldn't guard him out in space. Nope. Couldn't take him in the post. Nope. And Sabonis scored pretty much at what? Sabonis is really crafty because he's not – he can dunk. He is a bit of an above-the-rim player, but he was sneaking layups in, in that game. And it's – well, That's he seems, to, me against seems to be a guy. high IQ guy, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, the lineage. Yeah, the lineage. Credit that yes. to, the, to the lineage. It will be a Sabonis <laughs> if they draft him. Oh, God. <laughs> you love your own lines. I, know. <laughs> I do. <laughs> that's why it says <laughs> believe that's why. Eight is enough, though. Eight is enough. No, it is. You haven't gotten eight. You're no, at no, two I, now. I'm at two. We're about halfway home yes. here, so I mean, you're not going to get to eight. I've got we won't let you. I we have, will physically <laughs> remove you from the premises here <laughs> if you get anywhere near eight. I, 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 I've got six up my sleeve, Sandy. I got, I've got one more. Uh, we talked. We were talking uh, before the podcast about when the Broncos brought in Dale Carter, and to talk about a, a very a player that's either loved or hated in the NBA is Demarcus Cousins, and there's this talk of you know maybe the Kings Kings fans and Kings writers are talking more and more about that the team should trade him there's obviously the relationship with Malone it seems like a conversation that probably will happen in the offseason but should Denver be deathly afraid of bringing DeMarcus Cousins into a locker room that the Nuggets have spent two years cleaning up 
My answer would be yes, but Malone seems to have a rapport with him. And I, I suspect the only coach, really, including John Calipari at Kentucky, has really been able to connect to him. Yeah. Now, I read Chris Dempsey's column the other day, basically a defense of Cousins, and I found myself completely disagreeing with him on virtually every point. But here in Denver, there might be a reason to believe that his talent would be fully utilized and Malone would keep him under control. And I, I think that his latest outburst that earned him the suspension, no matter whether it was Carl or Devots or whomever issued the suspension, over the fact that Carl who had uh, been getting treatment for throat cancer again, wouldn't yell at officials <laughs> about <laughs> fouls they were calling against DeMarcus. Apparently that was the rationale for his blowing up at George yeah. this time. Nothing about the game that meant anything except that George yeah. was not screaming yeah. <laughs> at the officials on Cousins' behalf. I, I mean, to me, he's a loser, a total loser. And, and I know Chris made the argument, well, he's had no help. You know, kind of sounded like the Carmelo Anthony defense here. Well, I never had any help, and it really made right. no sense with Carmelo. Uh, we're not saying that DeMarcus Cousins is underachieving because they haven't won 50 games or even 40. But wouldn't you think somewhere along the line during his career so far in Sacramento, they could have won 30 games just once? Right. Just once. Just once. That's a good. It's point. never happened. If That's you're, a good point. If they lose well in excess of fifty games a year, and until very recently, George had gotten far more out of him individually and the team collectively, hard as this might be to believe, than any coach over the last decade, and certainly over the last five or six years had gotten out of Cousins and Cousins' team. Until, again, very recently, and now they can't win a game, certainly at home. It seems like they can't win a game. But uh, more, far more than Michael Malone got out of them in the full year they spent together. By the way, he's having a better individual year under Carl, and the team is winning more. Or was until very recently. If you were on radio in Sacramento, how often would you have George on trying to get him to give you the down low on Boogie Cousins. Well, <laughs> once this year here in Denver, the when they were in town a few weeks ago, yeah. was, was enough. Although it didn't center on Boogie Cousins. It centered on uh, Sacramento's obvious attempt, attempts, plural, to get George to resign so they don't have to pay him the $10 million they owe him on the remainder of his contract, right. which everybody knows, including George, <laughs> more than anybody else. Oh, That's exactly what's going on. And actually, his relationship with Cousins, at least at that point, was probably better than his relationship with any other element or person in the organization. Well, yeah. Nate and I were at a shoot-around. He and George come out of the, out of the court. Want, I mean, DeMarcus and George Carl just talking and laughing to each other. I'm like, this yeah. goes against everything I've heard about what's going on in Sacramento. Literally everything. And they were just talking and laughing at that. And this was when they were here. Now they're coming back. Oh, is it April? April 2nd. Yeah. So I'm going to be interested to talk to George then. But as of right now, I mean, as to Nate's point about DeMarcus Cousins, 
my 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 worries along your lines is that I think there's a point where your ta- your your soul-sucking kind of reputation in an organization is greater than your talent, which is undeniable. And I think that that is what bothers me about Cousins. We're doing, I am warned, from the time we spent prior to the program tonight, that we will be doing kind of a recollection of older players segment. Later yes, on. we, yes, yes challenging we will. Nice, nice, nice teaser there, Sandy. Thank you. <laughs> and this goes back... A number of years. Uh, the players that I remember growing up watching who remind me most of DeMarcus Cousins are Walt Bellamy and Elvin Hayes. Mm. Really? Walt Bellamy, particularly against top flight competition, could be as good as any center in the game. He was great against Wilt. He was very good against Russell. But you put him up against Connie Durkin and he wouldn't care. Now, I think DeMarcus Cousins, in his own self-serving way, may care more than that. But Elvin Hayes might be the more direct comparison. Yeah. And he did win a title in Washington with a lot of help. Yeah, yeah. But he did win a title. So maybe the Elvin Hayes example demonstrates. By the way, you put Elvin Hayes against Dave Cowens, he kicked Cowens' tail. Yeah. It's, inter- it's interesting how... Not every time, uh, but more often than most players kick Dave Cowan's tail, that's for sure. You ever been around... I mean, has there ever been a player that you have interacted with personally that has ever just, like, had that reputation of just... I mean, like, as, as we were talking about before the podcast... Joe Barry Carroll had that reputation. <laughs> Joe Barry. I, I liked him when he was here. I, I didn't know Joe Barry at all until he came here very late in his career. Yeah. An ill-fated uh, nugget year. I can't remember. I think it was 89-90. I think it was the last year of the Doug Moe regime. And he came yeah. here late in the year, and he was uh, – I had a chance covering the Nuggets back then uh, spend a little time talking with him. I found him fascinating. And, you know, he was over the hill by that point, but he had some good games. And the Nuggets did make the playoffs that year. They weren't a shoo-in, and he helped them a little bit. But speaking of relationships that went bad with George Carl – yeah. Now that that was a, <laughs> George was the more volatile of the two in that relationship by far. I'm not sure in the relationship with DeMarcus Cousins, particularly at this point in George Carl's life and his career, that uh, he's nearly as volatile as DeMarcus Cousins is. But you know, I, I when I think of guys who are obviously talents, yeah, but their teams don't respond. And they don't make, as they say, their teammates better at all. He, he strikes me as in the game they played here in Denver. He was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was he was dominant, it but was, yeah. uh, apparently Rudy Gay and Cousins barely you know, barely exist at the same time on the floor. And that Rudy Gay's a selfish guy too. Is all about it, hitting his average and mm-hmm. doesn't care about much else. By the way, we were, we were talking about tanking earlier. Our old friend yeah. uh, that's now with ESPN, Mark Spears, says that Kings All-Star center DeMarcus Cousin with a bruised right knee is questionable for tomorrow night's game at Minnesota. Well, there we go. That's a must-lose game <laughs> for the Kings. Apparently. Here's the difference <laughs> with Elvin Hayes. Elvin Hayes did play every game. Yeah. DeMarcus misses games. A lot of games. through suspension or injury. Uh, more, more games than he should miss. <laughs> 
There's a, uh, Although this may, this may be, as you point out, this may be a clear example of tanking. <laughs> and as we said with the, our old friend George, he's recently in town. Could you guys ever envision a role where, where George does what, what, what Doug Moe did, where he was an assistant coach? You know, where he comes back at some point in time. And I, mean, I never George thought is, Doug would do it. Yeah. I mean, George is such yeah. a gym rat. You know, he, he loves the game. He likes being around it. It would be kind of cool to see him at some point in time. I don't know when it would be, five years from now or whenever. But could he ever, could he ever do that? Uh, could you see George being an assistant coach? An advisor, perhaps? You know, I, I love George. But George is always, <laughs> for all his great qualities, he has to be up front. And I, I, can you see, Sandy, can you see George? No, I can't. I agree with the point on that. <laughs> I mean... I love George, but I, I just I just can't see it. I, I can't see his personality conforming to that sort of thing. I just I can't do it. But you know, hey, it would be nice to see. I mean, I I, I don't know. Maybe a front office position. Could you see George taking that? I don't know if a team would offer that. <laughs> I think the, I think the, George's the really good on TV. Speaking of ESPN, yeah, he's great on TV. Yeah, and I, I think he. Uh, satisfies the urge by doing the TV more than he would and being in a NBA front office or sitting a chair or two down on the bench. Sure. Yeah. That's fair. That Love is to fair. see it. <laughs> you want to play this game, Jeff? Yes, we are going <laughs> to play this game. <laughs> and uh, actually, Sandy already mentioned one of my guys, so I'm, I'm quickly adjusting. You're deleting yes. as we speak. Get rid uh, of Joe Barely Cares? Yes. <laughs> because. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to compromise your contest. But it's, it's fine. It's fine, Sandy. I, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you teasing my story so or my, uh, my game. So. Sandy, who do you think wins this, uh, the NBA title this year? Do you like watching basketball this season? Are you I like watching Golden is? State. I like watching San Antonio. And here and there, depending on the matchup. Um, but I find myself, and I know the college game isn't perfect, but I'm much more, and I never had been before the last year or two, much more of a devotee of the college game now. Yeah. I, I, I'm not crazy about certain types of coaches having that much control, but the NBA brand of basketball, I don't, want to sound like a crank as Barkley sometimes does but I find myself largely agreeing with Charles that on many many nights you're scouring to find a good game was it last year I mean last year felt like it was such a it was it was the most wide open I can remember the NBA being where you didn't there wasn't a clear front runner and this year it's like you said I mean it's how many Warriors, teams can Spurs. win there's two this year. Spurs yeah I mean I guess you have to pick somebody from the east and you know Cleveland's such a roller coaster. I guess you'd pick Cleveland. I mean, I could see Cleveland coming. They will come out of the East because they're clearly the best team in the East. But phew, they're man, the, they're the, and the second best team is Toronto, and Toronto hasn't won a playoff series. Yeah, it, it's. I believe Cleveland's now fifty and twenty, like maybe the most controversial fifty and twenty team in the last. I know, right? They fired David Blatt. You know, and, and they're thirty and eleven, and they're yeah, getting a little more from Tyron Lue, uh, although Lue has a better relationship, I guess, with James. Yeah, you know when they fired they, when they fired uh, David Blatt, I kept thinking of uh, Paul Westhead, and when he was with the Lakers. Yeah, um, Brian Hill with your with your Spurs. No, no, that's uh, 
Bob Hill. Bob Hill. Brian Hill Bob was Hill. their Orlando manager, Magic yeah. coach. Yeah, Bob Hill, the ultimate, the ultimate screw job. <laughs> a man who was screwed out of a legacy of championships. Nobody liked by him. Greg Popovich. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, okay. Crowd noise. Crowd noise me. You want some crowd noise? Yes. I gotta find it on here. <laughs> Jeez, to request crowd noise now. Your technical wizard. I know. Very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> Okay. All right. This game is called Guess That Old Former Nuggets Player. Okay. Is cheating permissible? Um, sure. Is this going to be easier than that game Ross tried to pull on us? Yes. Like six months ago? Or? Significantly easier. Uh, a couple of these I'll be very ashamed of you if you don't get. Okay. Now, this player was... Uh, just shout it out and we know it or what? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, just shout it out. Yeah. Um, this player... Um, was drafted in nineteen uh, in the late eighties by um, by the Nuggets, and uh, it was famously said about him that the only reason uh, Pete Babcock drafted him was because he broke a backboard. In Jerome Lane, <laughs> Jerome Lane, oh. send Boom. it in, Jerome, <laughs> send it in Bill Jerome. Raftery, Bill Raftery, exactly. All right, this is this is was the famous stories that Pete Babcock saw that saw him break that backboard and decided to make him the Nuggets draft choice in uh, 1988. And the Nuggets had the 23rd pick at the time, so they weren't getting a you know a tremendous player at, at that position. And he ended up actually playing for the Nuggets for three years. I can't remember. Was it Did Bernie Bickerstaff replicate that with Darvin Ham? I believe he did. Because Ham broke a backboard <laughs> yes, in the he NCAA did. tournament, and then the Nuggets drafted him. Well, Bernie famously um, would pick uh, draftees by just looking at who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That was the... <laughs> the Nuggets used to draft out of Street and Smith's, where Carl Sherwood called Dean Smith. Yes. That's how James Ray became a Nugget first round Oh, James Ray. <laughs> that he had played well against North Carolina, and Dean liked him. Oh, man. That's, uh, that's, that's, that should have been part of this game, too. That's crazy. Okay, well, point to Sandy. Well, hopefully you can make it up with this one here, uh, Nate. I do know Jerome Lane, so. You did know Jerome yes. Lane. Okay. All right. Who did Jerome Lane play for at Pitt? Who was the coach? Oh. Let me look here. <laughs> <laughs> What's his coach? <laughs> Wait, no, that was uh, that was uh, Brown. What is that guy named? What's his name? Mel Brown. George Brown. That's not the correct answer. <laughs> okay. He coached David Robinson as well at Navy. Same guy. Come on, Morton. I, I, I'm drawing a blank. Sandy. David Robinson's coach at Navy. Is he a good can coach? I, can I type it into the computer here? <laughs> he was, uh, <laughs> I would say, 30 years ago, if not the hottest coach in college basketball as a prospect, then certainly in the top three or four. After really? his stint at Navy, and it was 30 years ago that Navy, under David Robinson's uh, leadership, not his coaching, but his leadership beat Syracuse at the Carrier Dome in the national tournament. Paul Evans. And advanced to the Paul Evans, oh, who Paul was Evans. Uh, the basketball coach at St. Lawrence University during my time. No, at really. St. Lawrence oh, see, that's in the mid to late 70s, <laughs> and uh, was a Big East coach at Pitt uh, for a few years and you know, got fired there, and basically that was the end of his coaching career and probably either should have 
never, well, probably never should have taken the job at Pitt after Navy, should have waited for another opportunity. Because that was the Big East when the Big East was really, really big in the mid-'80s, and he came into that cauldron. And actually, Pitt won the regular season Big East title, I believe, one year while he was there. But there are a lot of great coaches in that that 30 Conference for 30 on the Big was East gonna, was amazing. Uh, amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, I loved it. St. Lawrence, uh, didn't, uh, didn't uh, Tony Kornheiser go to St. Lawrence? Uh, Binghamton. Binghamton. Oh, okay. Close. Another one of those small schools yeah. up there in the great up white up there, north yeah. of New York State. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Jeff, what else you got? Okay. I'm ready. Now, this one, Nate, you should get. Although I may be overestimating you. Um, yes. <laughs> you might. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, particular player <coughs> was, was drafted in 1990, um, but he was not drafted by the Denver Nuggets. He didn't come till the nug- to the Nuggets until, <coughs> excuse me, I need a cough button, uh, didn't come to the Nuggets until well into his career. However, he did win not one championship, but three championships. Um, he was on the Nuggets from... In the 2001-2002 season. Scott Livingston? Scott Williams. Yes. <laughs> yes. <coughs> I should have docked you for this. Sean Livingston is where you were, he was thinking, you were thinking of. I was thinking Cliff Livingston. Cliff Livingston. And then I was thinking Scott Williams. <laughs> Cliff Livingston actually did play for the Nuggets, too. He did. Yeah. He was terrible. So he played. Uh, North Carolina. Yep, and he was uh, yeah. on the Bulls from yeah. ninety to ninety four. So he's there for their first three, first three uh, championships. And uh, I remember him being a semi productive player for that uh, two thousand one two thousand two Nuggets team. That's the only year he was in Denver. Yeah, it's the only only time you only only his only run in Denver was that. He was good with the Bulls. There's a fun debate: which Bulls three peat team was the better? The first, the ninety. 90, 91, 1993? Uh, 93 yeah. was the third team on the first run. Yeah. And the 98 team was the I still say their third first, team in the last run. I still think their first three were the best because the league too. was Me better. Too. Yeah. Just the Agreed. league all around was better than. I think Horace Grant was. Horace Grant was a better, underrated. yeah. No. Yeah. They went through tougher competition in the East. It was until they got to that 98 season where they were getting old, and yes. Indiana took them to, what, seven games in the Western Con- in Eastern Conference Finals. I love but, Bill Cartwright, too. I used to remember trying to mimic his shot in my driveway. Old New York Nick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played for the, better for the Bulls than he ever did for the Knicks, I think. <laughs> well, and Sandy could probably speak to that a little better than me. I wouldn't dispute that. Yeah, I think he. Yeah. His stats are better with the Knicks. He was traded. He's a better player with the Bulls. Uh, he traded for Charles uh, Charles Oakley, right? Yes. So yeah, that was that. that it was a win win trade. It was a trade that uh, <laughs> Jordan hated because Oakley was his buddy. Oh yeah, yeah, man. But Oakley was so good for those Knicks teams. I mean, he was such a glue guy for those. Well, anyway, Oakley was uh, Jordan's bodyguard during the early Jordan rules days before uh, they right. made that trade. That's right, Charles Oakley. <laughs> Okay, now this one. I believe uh, he was his bodyguard post-playing career as well for when they went clubbing. No, always need. You know, right. personal knowledge of that. Always <laughs> need to. Always need to. Didn't know you were hanging out with Michael. <laughs> a little bit. Lost some money to him on the golf course. Okay, two more. You have risen in my estimation. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up with that little tidbit. <laughs> yeah. um, 
All right, this player is going to be a little difficult, but if you really know your Nuggets history, you'll get it. Um, this player was drafted in 1995, but not by the Nuggets. Um, he later came to the Nuggets um, after I believe he was cut by this team and helped the Nuggets avoid infamy in 1998. He was the best player on this team. And he helped the Nuggets win six out of their last 18 games. Oh, uh, he's a little guard. Uh, Anthony Goldwire? No. No. Uh, this is the hardest one of the... Of the yeah, it is hard. ...of the lot. Count up with the name, I can see him. But little guy. Little guy. Yeah. Came in on March 4th of 1998. Really helped this Nuggets team avoid what could have been, really rightfully should have been the worst team of all time. Coached by our old friend Bill Hanslick. <laughs> Is he from the ACC, Virginia? I believe so. Can't that's come up with the name. Yeah, I know like, his no, background and some of the history. Yep. Can't come yeah, up with the name. He was from Virginia, University of Virginia, was yep. drafted by the Spurs yep. in uh, 1995. I'm sure there's people screaming, can, all-time Nugget fans sure. screaming at the radio. I can like, see him shooting in my head. His, he earned a contract with the Nuggets based on the fact that he's helped them not be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> you probably have to give us a name. I it is Corey Alexander. Corey Alexander. I was going to say Alexander, <laughs> but I didn't want to be mocked. <laughs> I, I couldn't have come up with the first name. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have gotten the first name. No, but, but you, you, see, you said Alexander. If you would have said Alexander, I would have given it yeah, to you. That's the hard end. Yeah. I mean, because that team was so bad. They cycled through a lot of guards. They had. Like I just didn't want to earn your wrath. <laughs> they had five wins up till March of that year with a month to go. They had 18 games to go, and they've somehow won six games. <laughs> I mean, that team would have been the, what was the old mark? Um, nine well, wins. nine and 73 for yeah. the 72, 73, 76ers. 70, That's a mouthful. 72, 73, 76ers. <laughs> that team legitimately As bad say, as the 76ers are now, yeah. they could never be that bad. <laughs> That's the worst, the worst team I've ever seen. That Incredible. was really the worst team I've ever seen. So point to Nobody. no one. No one. It is still tied 1-1. Here is the tiebreaker. All right. This is a very easy one, so it'll depend on who has the quickest answer. Um, this gentleman um, had a long NBA career, um, was drafted in 1993, and uh, came to the Nuggets in, a, in probably the best deal ever by this executive. He was uh, traded for on draft night and played for the Nuggets for three and a half years. And he came to the if I as soon as I as soon as I give the year he he, he was drafted and both of you will get it. Um, he was his ability to come to the Nuggets was uh, made easier by the fact that he got into some controversy with his previous team um, during a game. I'm being very intentionally vague here. Um, he is also well, he was drafted by the Nuggets. No. He was not drafted by the Nuggets. You didn't make that clear. Yeah. I'm sorry. So he was drafted that. in 93. He was drafted you're... by the 93, but he was not drafted by the Nuggets. Right. He did come to the Nuggets later, about five years later. Nick Van Exel. That's where you got Then Nick Van Exel. <laughs> was traded for, by, with, for, let's see, Tyron Lue, who ended up being Tyron Lue, 
and um, who was drafted by the Nuggets? Who was drafted by the Nuggets? And Nebraska. And uh, El Busto. Well, Tony Batiste. Tony Batiste. And which, when you look back on that in hindsight, you think Nick Van Exel, he's good, he was a good player. I mean, then the Nuggets got him for El Busto and a unproven draft pick, who's most famous for actually now being a coach for the yes. Cleveland Cavaliers and being stepped over by Allen Iverson in the 2001 finals. Yes. I remember uh, <laughs> I grew up in the country in Parker, like five acres. We had kind of a long driveway. I remember I'd go out, pick up the paper so I could read the sports page. Going to get in the paper, coming back in, going to the sports page, it was on the front that the Nuggets had traded for Van Axel, who was one of my all-time favorite players at Cincinnati. Loved him in college. Played for Bob yep. Huggins. Yeah, old Huggy Bear. And I freaked out when Denver traded for him. And that's how you found out about things back then was you unwrapped the paper and there was the news of the day. It's hard for people who are listening to this podcast right now to imagine this. I probably still have that paper somewhere in a box. <laughs> <laughs> Probably still have it. That was that trade um, at the time was made easy because I believe the year before Van Exel had bumped Steve Javi onto a scores table <laughs> in Denver. <laughs> was it that year or was it the year before? Nick Van Exel's least favorite official and Dan Essel's least favorite least official, official. <laughs> one and the same. Steve Javi. Steve Javi. <laughs> Who uh, I think now still does TV stuff, but he does. He was he played in the for the for Nuggets ESPN. For, right? Yeah, played for the Nuggets for three and a half years. Had a great season in uh, two thousand. And uh, you got was, to cover Van Exel a little bit, right? In Denver. What did you think? Of interesting Van character was he? Uh, I I thought Allen Iverson was a better basketball citizen. Uh, Van Exel was probably as good a player when he was here as Allen Iverson was when he was here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would I say that's so. accurate, yeah. But Allen uh, Iverson, who had a reputation uh, for not liking practice and potentially being somewhat disruptive, uh, w- was none of that here. He wasn't disruptive in the least, and he was... I won't say he was a dedicated practice player, but he was there to practice and did practice. And I think we got, particularly at the end, more of Nick Van Exel's worst moments. Yeah. Leading. So to me, he was a disappointment. I never thought Iverson was yeah. individually a disappointment while he was here. Nick Van Exel, they were counting on him to do just about, maybe even a little more, than they were counting on Iverson to do. And I thought huh. Nick Van Exel was... A, a, and in many ways was the, the straw that broke the back of that regime. I mean, Dan liked him and had counted on him, and he wasn't as good as he needed to be. The Nuggets sold on Iverson at, like, the most opportune time oh, possible. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. oh, well, yeah. Brought Chauncey Billups. Great, maybe one of the greatest trades. The, the overall history. transaction, yeah. not so much getting him, but when you let him go and you got Chauncey back, that key, to my way of thinking still, the Nuggets' best season as an NBA franchise. It was 2008, 2009. That's, that's, you could make an argument that that is specific, specifically with how they proceeded through the playoffs that year. And they were better the next year until George Carl got sick. Yep, exactly. And Adrian Dantley became the coach. Yeah. Crossing guard. Crossing guard, Adrian Dantley. Um, but, yeah, that, that, so anyway, that's, uh, but one of the reasons Van Axel ended up in Denver was that, uh, um, and no, excuse me, one of the reasons Antonio McDyess ended up in Denver was because of Nick Van Axel. True. True. They, those True. two were buddies. Yep. And uh, when he came back as a free agent, right? They became friends yep. after he was drafted here. Yep. Or and traded for traded. On draft night. 
and there was just there was just this 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 connection that they had, plus the famous Issel story about uh, locking the uh, members Pierre Lacroix locking <laughs> the Phoenix <laughs> contingent out of, <laughs> out of Pepsi Center old McNichols like, Arena. Oh yeah, that's right, McNichols Arena. That's right. During the last a great memory, that story <laughs> during a blizzard of old McNichols <laughs> Arena was Pierre Lacroix. Uh, during either late in the regular season or early in the playoffs, seen fit to help out, yeah, his uh, Nugget, uh, you know, co-tenants mm-hmm. at Old McNichols and locking the Phoenix Suns, including Rex Chapman, out of <laughs> Old McNichols Arena, so they couldn't uh, later re-recruit yeah. Antonio McDice. Well, and McDice was wavering because the Nuggets had cut, uh, let go, um, not cut him. They had let go Lafonso Ellis. Um, they had let him go on free agent, I believe, free agency, and uh, he was buddies with Fonz. So that's that's one of my favorite stories of the Nuggets. It's amazing. People in Phoenix still pissed off about that too. To this day, to, to this day, <laughs> pissed off about what happened. It's like, come on, you know, all's fair. <laughs> Ten years from now, we'll be telling stories about this great. Young Nuggets team and how they grew up <laughs> to bring Denver its first championship. Yes, that's right. Hopefully, <laughs> with any hope. Yes. Within. Well, that's that's the the that's the end of name that former old Nuggets player. I'm I'm hope that everyone was as entertained as clearly Sandy and Nate were with this game. <laughs> it was a good one. I Nate won. You underestimated Nate. I well, did. One two to one. <laughs> he went more recent. It was good. There was some well. Semi-recent. You threw me with the 93 pick because I assumed you were talking about a Nugget pick. Oh, yeah, so I was off the Nick Van Exel uh, wavelength at that point. Yeah. I, I, I but Nate was not, to his credit. Nate was not thrown. Nate, Nate was hot on the track. By your uh, <laughs> hot on my less my, than complete clue. Well, my subterfuge. <laughs> we'll have to get that going. Well, Sandy, we appreciate you coming down. It's always thank a you, pleasure, Sandy. fellas. Yeah, it's always uh, Thank you for coming down. We always appreciate when you're on. Um, this is, I think, your fifth time down with us, so it's... Uh, it's just getting better every every episode. Yeah. Do you guys have anything, any, any good guests coming up on the fan? Anybody you got tomorrow? We've got uh, tomorrow, I believe, Mike Kliss. Oh, yeah. From Boca Raton, where uh, I was needling my friends from the Denver Post today. They, uh, I think correctly, see fit to send uh, Troy Rank to cover the NFL owners meeting in Boca Raton. But they couldn't bother to send anybody on the most recent avalanche road trip, their most significant of the year. And Chris Dempsey at least did not finish the Nugget road trip covering the Nuggets. They had a stringer last night in Cleveland. So uh, (laughs) we get the occasional criticism for being overly Bronco-oriented, but uh, the Post decision not to send writers out, beat writers, to cover actual games, but they'll send the Bronco beat guy to cover a meeting. It's, uh, it's not trip. inappropriately, again, in my view, but yeah. I just think it's rather strange that uh, uh, the Post wouldn't be hit on that a little harder in terms of its coverage priorities. And you guys certainly haven't had a, a shortage of things to talk about with the Broncos. I mean, just a, a crazy offseason for them. So. Well, in all seriousness, uh, you know, we talk about the things that are most newsworthy, and the Broncos are making the most news, even out of season. What, uh, with Broncos news... What have fans wanted to talk about most? What do, you, what do you guys get the most calls about or what topics have really brought people to the airwaves? Oh, I think the free agency period has provoked a lot of talk because perhaps the Broncos made a few mistakes early on. 
certainly lost a player that I think they clearly wanted to keep in Brock Osweiler and have been playing catch-up since, and not entirely unsuccessfully either. Yeah. Uh, they've made, I think, some nice recovery moves. Uh, my friend Alfred Williams described uh, the deal for Russell Okun the other day as the most one-sided since the Louisiana Purchase. <laughs> from the Bronco point of view, one-sided favorably. From Okun, who does not have an agent, represents himself. It's one of the worst contracts for a top-flight player that you'd ever want to see. It's very bad. Does that reflect badly one on year <laughs> with four years tacked on, much to the benefit of the club. Does that look reflect poorly on a Broncos organization that they would take advantage of a guy that didn't have representation? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> reflects well on them, actually. Yeah. <laughs> gives, gives agents a reason to, to stay Exactly. <laughs> the agents love it, too, because that's what happens when you represent yourself. Yeah. It's never a happy experience. You may think it is. You may be very smart and savvy, but you need representation. Oh, my God. Has anybody asked you, have you given a prediction on, on who Denver's quarterback is going to be next year? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I suppose Colin Kaepernick, who has not yet right. been acquired by the Broncos, but it is presumed that sooner or later he will be. I guess that's more or less the fashionable pick, whether everyone is terribly excited about the prospect or not. Sure. I don't think the prospect of Mark Sanchez starting excites anyone, including Gary Kubiak or John Elway. Probably and not even Trevor Sanchez. Simeon uh, took one snap last year. Right. <laughs> I think it was, was it a handoff? Uh, it was a kneel down. It was a kneel down. Oh, even, well, even what, better. What, what Sandy's saying is that everything is sunshine and roses with the Broncos, clearly, and they will oh. be repeat Super Bowl champions next year, I believe. Uh, the... Ninth time that's happened in Super Bowl history, and they would be the eighth team if they were able to accomplish that. But I don't. Think we haven't gonna... in more than a decade since the Patriots in 0304 Since yeah. at that point, uh, we've not seen a repeat champion. Nope, we have not. But uh, with this, Seattle did go back. They should have repeated. Yes, but did I not. Guess. But they did not. They shouldn't have repeated. Come on, come on. They, just run, they just run the ball. I mean. <laughs> Give it to Marshawn Lynch. Give it to Marshawn Lynch. They would have been repeat champs. Yeah, and Marshawn Lynch retired, right? He's yes, he did. He's well, out of the league now. Interesting personality. All right, well, let's get out of here. Sandy, once again, thank you for coming Thank down. you, Sandy. We appreciate it. Pleasure, fellas. Hopefully you can uh, get some sleep since it's past your bedtime. As you <laughs> we'll see. Almost hopeless cause now. <laughs> Pulling all nighter. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here. We'll see you guys next week.